Live from Nashville, Tennessee, it's Dawn and Steve in the morning. Good morning from Moody Radio. Start your day the best way with the word this morning. Remember to text Devo to 800-555-7898. And we're going to go to the word in just a moment. And then later this hour, Craig Island is going to join us to talk about his book, By Grace Alone. Well, we're looking forward to that and glad that you have joined us as we get rolling here on another week together. Beginning a new week means we had a weekend. Hope the uh, May family had a good weekend. We did. We had a little illness in the house, Uh so it altered some plans for sure. But yeah, uh, it was a good weekend. Still, as I woke up this morning, was getting ready. I'm like, "Wow, where'd those last two days go?" (laughs) They just kind of flew by, didn't they? They did. Yeah, and the Hiller family as well. Oh, we had a, a good weekend. I mean, it was kind of project weekend mm-hmm. around our house got some stuff done around the house that needed to get done and then of course yesterday was a combination of church and football of course it was of course it was and uh, we'll find out if the teams you were rooting for were the ones that actually won well i went one and one yesterday okay okay did you wanted san francisco to win i did uh-huh i did i you know we were talking last week about brock purdy the Third string quarterback who played for the 49ers and uh, just his faith and how spoken he was and the genuineness of that. And of course, he got hurt. That's what Ben said. Ben told me. Yeah. He's Ben said that he went down like in the first series of plays or something with a hurt arm. And of course, it was his throwing arm. So he was done. Wow. I mean, he did come back into the game later because then the fourth string quarterback. That's it. Fourth string quarterback in the championship <laughs> in game. In a championship game, yes, it's not Got hurt, <laughs> and <laughs> so Brock Purdy had to come back in the game. And uh, yeah, he, I mean, he he played and sure. he did okay. But I, you know, with that injury, he just didn't look like quite what you would need when you're playing the number one seed. Wow, in the NFC. So and it yeah. certainly was a good game uh, between the Bengals and the uh, Chiefs. Uh huh. Speaking of injuries, Pat Patrick Mahomes just did wow. Oh yeah, with I know that hurt ankle. Right. I I wanted the Bengals to win, but there's just something about watching Mahomes play football that is fun. He looks like he's having fun when I he plays the game, and I think that's part like of it. it. Yeah. And Kelsey, yeah, you know, the the tight end, like the two of those guys together just have this kind of chemistry where they look like they're enjoying playing the game, mm-hmm. and the, it it almost makes it look like they're playing pickup ball out there (laughs) but they're doing it at such an incredibly high level that it just is a a joy to watch and now we've got the kelsey bowl as the uh, two kelsey brothers are going to be facing off against each other in the super bowl because one play is for the eagles Uh, and the other play is for the chiefs that'll be a fun little matchup to watch you know that uh, they're going to have all sorts of shots of the parents in the stands assuming (laughs) I don't yeah. know the status of their parents, but I'm assuming they're both living at this point. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I can just imagine, okay, so which son are you going to be cheering for today? <laughs> We're going to hear that story over and over. I'd be taking a jersey and I'd be t- cutting, cutting them in, in half, half. Yep. and sewing them together. That would be this mama if it were my boys playing in the Super Bowl against one another. That, yeah. is, that is pretty cool. So you watched some of the game? I did. I watched a little bit of the third quarter and the mess of that. And this is the Cincinnati um and Chiefs game. And then during the fourth quarter, I looked at the clock and went, okay, I I can't. So Ben moved into the other room and finished the game. Okay. Came down to the final seconds of the game. That that one was a fun game because of the back and forth and the, you know, the the final 
30 seconds of the game mattered, mm-hmm. as opposed to the previous game, which was over before halftime. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's hard for fans, for sure. We're thankful that you're with us this morning, whatever your weekend was. You know we want to hear about it. You can text, you can call, you can head to our Facebook page. The phone number is 800-555-7898. Same way you can let us know you want the Devo as you head to Acts 26 this morning. Yeah, Acts 26 verse 19 says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. You know, God does everything for a reason. God met Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus for a purpose. And you can read that account in Acts chapter 9. Saul had planned to go and persecute Christians. But his encounter with Christ changed him forever. God did more in that encounter than save Saul from his sin. God began to reveal his will for Paul's life. And God's assignment for Paul was clear. In Acts 9, verses 15 and 16, it says, He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. God's plan for Paul, revealed through a vision, involved both testifying before kings and suffering persecution. That's what we saw, right? As you read the the New Testament, Paul was to enjoy the thrill of performing miracles and preaching to large crowds and starting churches. But Paul was also to be stoned and shipwrecked and whipped and mocked and conspired against and imprisoned. Would we accept this part of his assignment as readily as the first part of the assignment? The miracles, the preaching, the crowds, the church planning? We never hear of Paul complaining about his commission from God. He was never asked that he be given a role like Peter's or James or or John's. It was enough for Paul that he be given any task in the kingdom of God. And as Paul neared the end of his ministry, he could boldly state to Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Do you imagine having Paul's tenacity to the devotion of the Father's will? That could be something we pray about today and pray for. What joy there is not only to begin well in our Christian faith, but also to end faithfully. It is God's desire that each of us could say at the end of our lives, I was not disobedient. If you want a copy of this morning's devotional, we'd love to get that to you. Text the word Devo, just those four letters, D-E-V-O. Text that to 800-555-7898. Or you're going to find this linked at our Facebook page. On Facebook, you're just looking for Don and Steve in the morning. Rise and shine. It's Dawn and Steve time. Why not wake them up by calling or texting 800 800- Five 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 seven eight nine eight. And while you're there, we need your questions for Dr. Michael Rodelnik, which is coming up later in the show. 
Hope that you'll go ahead and get those texted in right now. About two hours from now, we'll be uh, asking him your Bible questions. But before we get to that, we got a lot of ground to cover, including a link today between guilt, shame, forgiveness, and salvation. Craig Ireland has uh, served as a pastor, church planter. He's uh, written a lot, including a book entitled By Grace Alone, A Heartfelt Word for Those Seeking Salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. Craig, welcome. Good to have you with us this morning. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on. You know, I think topics like guilt and shame are uh, topics that are relevant to all of us. Who amongst us doesn't have something that we can look back on and say, ah, oh, yeah, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And uh, we may feel the the tension of living in, knowing that we're forgiven if we are in Christ, but also kind of have mm-hmm. some baggage uh, behind us. Um, but culture is going to probably tell us that, yeah, we need to just drop the the baggage, drop the guilt, drop the shame, not a thing. Do you think God has given us those feelings, the emotion, guilt, shame for, for a purpose? Well, absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much again for what a what a wonderful opening question just to really touch on those inner vexations of which we all experience. You know, the scripture is really clear that uh, all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. And the effects of our sin are not just outward. Of course, there are outward consequences, but there's always a, there's always an inner wounding. There's always a sense of which when we, when we live against God's purposes and when we reject his, his plan for our life and, and, and we commit, you know, sins and, and those things of that nature, there's always something we carry. There's something that we we bear, and I think that there's there's a sense in which, of course, that's that's part of consequence. That's part of the negative effects and ramifications of sin. But by the same coin, and I think this is important, we remember that those things are also reminders. Those 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 feelings of shame and guilt, which are in us, ought not to be seen as exclusively negative consequences and emotions, but they should also be seen as those those things which drive us to the cross of Christ and. And those things which help us to look outside of ourselves, which tragically we're all a little too, a little too want to do, is to is to kind of look to be a self savior or look to self renovate. The good news of the gospel is that in whatever state we find ourselves, in whatever our past is, however messed up things have been, Jesus stands ready and waiting for us to come to Him, lay our burdens upon Him, mm-hmm. and receive the the good and gracious gift of eternal life. And so. Sometimes those feelings of vexation and burdensomeness it can actually be a gift because it can drive us to seek that remedy outside of ourselves, which is, of course, ultimately and truly Jesus Christ. Amen to that. Craig, so what I hear you saying is that in context, guilt and shame in a proper context could actually be inspiration for us to then live an obedient life, seeking after the Lord and remembering, hey, last time I did that, that didn't work out so well. Well, that's so true, and, and the Scripture reminds us of that, right? It tells us that the Lord chastises those who He loves, and the Lord chastises only those that belong to Him in a filial relationship, in a, in a family-type relationship. And so in the initial sense, a bit of guilt and shame because we, we have messed up, and I don't think any of us are going to claim perfection here today, that's for sure. But also it helps us then to, to reassess what went wrong. Why, why did I steer away from God's purpose? Why, why was there a deviation in my life and a rejection of God's perfect plan? And, and again, to, to not look in and of yourself for that solution, that remedy, or even the strength to live more purely for Christ, but to find that 
in Jesus. And so the, the start, the middle, and the end of the Christian faith is, is looking unto Jesus. Hmm. So important for us to do that. And as we look to Jesus, we experience his mercy and his grace. And you've written about the grace of God in this book, By Grace Alone, which is actually kind of a modern translation of some of Spurgeon stuff. Hmm. Tell, tell me a little bit about yeah. your uh, connection with, with the writing of Spurgeon. That's right. I've been a, you know, a real, I guess, a, an avid reader of Spurgeon for a very long time now. And one of my favorite books he ever wrote was a small little gospel appeal that he called All of Grace. And I, I read that about once a year and sometimes more often than that. And I always felt it was such a wonderful reminder to keep me grounded in the good news of God, to keep me grounded in the gospel and, and, and to drive me to, to Christ. And so that book, his original All of Grace, published in around the mid to late 1800s, I've given a bit of a refresh, a bit of an update and a revision so that it can be, it can be delivered to a, a, an audience in 2023 and it can be just as accessible. And, you know, I, I, I pray that God would make it just as compelling as well that people would find life in Christ. Many have lived and been encouraged by the works, lived and read the works of Charles Spurgeon. But if you ever got mm. in to his writings and went, I just can't get past the way the language was, <laughs> that is why this book would be compelling to you. Craig Ireland has brought new life to this work by Charles Spurgeon. Originally, All of Grace is what was penned. Now, Craig shares with us, by grace alone. Postmodernism, what in the world is it? How does it affect the church? We're going to find out in a little bit. Dawn and Steve in the morning on Moody Radio. Thanks for listening to Dawn and Steve in the morning on Moody Radio. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel yet, we really suggest you do. There's some great content on there. And today's release is an interview we had a couple of weeks ago with Brent McDougall on Prayer Power, looking at lessons from the life of George Mueller. Oh, I think I want to go back and listen to that. And go See check that, that out. Yeah, meet Brent McDougall there through our uh, YouTube channel. That would be super. And then we'll get this one up. Our conversation today with Craig Ireland is in reference to a book that Charles Spurgeon wrote. And that was several years ago, All of Grace, the name of that book. And Craig, you have now kind of repenned it, retooled it a little bit, called it By Grace Alone. And you're looking at something now at the risk of glazing your eyes over with a big church term on a Monday morning. Let me just ask you to hang in there a minute because postmodernism, we want to define it and see why that it's not good for the church, but it's also not new. So start, Craig, if you would, with the definition of postmodernism. Well, maybe where we should start is just give people a warning to quickly get a shot of coffee or something just to buzz them away. <laughs> <Yeah>. so <that laughs> So that we can get into the more erudite topics and uh, and not uh, lull our listeners to sleep. But now this is a very important topic and uh, tragic, and I'm sad to say is quite pervasive. Now, uh, at risk of oversimplifying, I guess I'm going to be guilty of that. To to kind of speak of postmodernity uh, in its simplest form is really just to it's really to isolate any any sense of morality or any sense of certainty or any sense of truth or anything like that in the experience of the individual and then in the broader context of, of social convention. So let me rephrase that. What that means is that there's really no absolute 
right or wrong. There's really no absolute truth or or error. There, there really is only experience. And out of experience, you can define yourself. You can decide who you identify you want to be. You can make up your own system of good and bad, right or wrong, morality and ethics. And you can kind of live unto yourself as, as pretty much your own authority and sovereign. Now, uh, I hope that in the way that I've detailed that, I hope that it's pretty obvious why that's a bad thing. But before anything else, it's a bad thing because it's a rejection of, of God and God's place, rightful place, seated in sovereignty and crowned Lord of all. And God has given us truth, clarity, morality. God has given us his law. God has given us his gospel. God has, God has identified himself and declared who he is in Scripture uh, but tragically, more and more, what we see is that Christians, uh, churches, and sadly, even whole church movements and denominations end up buying into what is called postmodernity. But of course, you're right. It's actually not modern at all. I would say that this postmodern expression of, did God really say? Is there really ultimate truth, absolute reality? Is there really ultimate and absolute right or wrong? All of those things, I think, were were really brought into the human experience in the first conversation recorded in the Bible between Satan and, and Eve and, and Adam. When, when, when Satan said, did God really say you, you cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And that in the day you eat of it, will you surely die? Calling into question God's word, God's absolute sovereignty, God's absolute truthfulness and his conveyance of reality is as old as deception itself. And what I love about, about the way Charles Spurgeon wrote All of Grace back in the, as we said, the, the middle of the 1800s, and now this refresh that I, I hope God's enabled me to be able to do, is to help to just look at that with a new sense of saying, we do all know right or wrong. We can play this game. We can kind of fool ourselves for a while. We can tolerate others in this kind of kind of gray, nebulous world of who knows which way is up, who knows which way is down. But God has put eternity in all of our hearts. And God has clarified very, very directly and very explicitly that he is eternal, he is glorious, and that uh, and right or wrong exists. And, and, and God is a, a righteous judge. The Bible is clear that all have sinned. We said this in the first segment. All have fallen short of God's glorious standard. But there is a gift of God. There's 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 a redemption that's offered freely in Christ. And so while postmodernity as a as a philosophy, it's been around for a number of decades now. It's not even even if, even in a, in its new iteration, it's kind of dated, but of course, it stands to undermine the gospel. And I think what we need to recover are the old ways of thinking and embracing biblical truth as God revealed it and understand his will and ways for our life. Yeah, it's a uh, good reminder that, you know, the gospel is something and God's word is not something that we get to apply the way that we want to. God says, no, you're going to live by my truth. He's the, the standard setter, uh, if you will. Talking this morning with uh, Craig Ireland. He is a pastor, church planner, author. He's taken the work of Charles Spurgeon, All of Grace, and kind of reworked that to make it a little bit easier to uh, digest here. The book is called By Grace Alone, and uh, we're going to continue the conversation with Craig coming up in just a few moments. Thanks for listening to Dawn and Steve in the morning. We want to check, have you got your coffee yet? What about your Bible? What about Dawn and Steve? We're glad you're here, and we're ready to start the week. Well, we are talking this hour with Craig Ireland. He's uh, written a book called Grace Alone. It's kind of a revision, making the 
writings of Charles Spurgeon a little bit easier to, to digest and understand here. But one of the things, as we think about grace, that we also, when we look at the character and the nature of God, is we see that he is a just God. I think his righteousness demands that he judge sin. And we were talking about the guilt and the shame and the dealing of sin. And God is going to judge that sin. But we also have the love, the mercy, the grace of God. And sometimes it feels, Craig, as if those two things are colliding with each other. And we're living in the tension of that. And I think especially for either unbelievers or people who don't know God well yet, they struggle with that. How would you help somebody kind of understand the grace of God and the justice of God. Yeah, I think a, a natural human kind of our proclivity is to try and resolve that tension by maybe emphasizing one of those to the expense of the other. And I think we've all kind of run into those people. Maybe they're identifying as Christians. Maybe they're uh, some particular variation of of Christian, and and they sort of they kind of can't help themselves but get really legalistic. They always have this idea of God as this kind of grumpy old man with a really big stick and he's always watching out because he takes a lot of delight and just beating you over the head every time you maybe you know color outside the lines or or step this way or that way and you kind of see people kind of express that because they've they've devalued in some way the grace and the mercy of God I think probably there's um there's small variations and expressions of that but probably more often than not what we see uh, in 2023 is people maybe overemphasize the grace of God at the expense of God's clarifying of his nature as just God is perfect God is righteous God is holy and God has inspired his uh, his prophets and apostles to represent him uh, as a God that's fearsome in his justice he's fearsome in his vengeance he's he's fearsome in his holiness his eyes are too pure even to look on sin the scripture says and so I don't want to downplay this tension at all it's a real tension it's a challenge and I see more often than not people not doing the best at kind of resolving that or or just satisfying that tension and my advice would be is to look at the cross it's actually at the cross of Christ where we get the clearest most vivid and explicit declaration of God's hatred of sin and God's justice there Jesus hangs on the cross God's own dear eternal son and, and, and the scripture says that he has been made to be sin. He's been made to be a representative of fallen humanity. And he is judged. And, and in fact, his crucifixion, of course, ends in his death. He's, he's brought to be the sacrifice before God. Yet none of us can look at the cross and say it's not a place of overt mercy and grace. Jesus is there not because he sinned. It's not because... He's broken God's law. The Bible is really clear that Jesus has never in any way, not in thought, word, or deed, he's never violated God's perfect standard of justice, but he goes to the cross as a, as a substitute for, for sinners like us. And so I think where we might, in, in a thousand different ways, struggle with this tension, trying to work out how do we think about this? How do we not reduce God's grace and mercy and, and end up legalistic or or, or kind of distorting the view of God into some grumpy old man. At the same time, how do we do justice to God's wrath and his holiness and his, his detesting of sin? How do we do that without, without maybe dismissing grace and, and mercy? And the answer has to be the cross, where we get the most dramatic demonstration of God's, God's hatred for sin, and we get the most clear and the most profound declaration of God's love for humanity. 
and his grace and mercy for all who can just look to Jesus, trust in him as their savior, embrace him as Lord, they will be saved. Mm. Oh, that the Lord would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand this truth this morning, to not dismiss the cross as something that's familiar. I get it. I know that's what God did for me, but the fullness of what God accomplished for you and for me as we look at it and consider the cost, but also the grace. Oh, just satisfying all of who God is. Oh, Craig Ireland talking with us today, his book, By Grace Alone. It's a heartfelt word for those seeking salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a revision of the 19th century classic by Charles H. Spurgeon all of grace. Craig, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your passion for the love of Christ and and to share that with all of us. I hope this encourages us uh, on our Monday. It's the truth of the gospel right there that Craig has so beautifully shared with us this morning. He still does these miracles, these works in our hearts to reconcile us to himself.